All right, good to have you here. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, I'm so stoked to be here, and I want to thank you guys for your prayers. It's been awesome. Um, just all the love that my wife and I have felt uh, while I was sick last week, and uh, just just the text is flowing in. We're praying for you. Just bags of groceries being left at the front door and flowers and all kinds of stuff. Just thank you for the love and the aloha. Um, and it's so good to be out of my bedroom and to be here. And so um, we are in Ephesians chapter 1 today. We, we're kind of crawling at a snail's pace, but there's just so much there. And uh, I think this is like my fifth week, and um, I haven't even got past uh, verse 11. So today we're going to look at 11 through 14. Um, but actually I want to back it up. Let's get a run at it and start at verse 9. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom we, you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your promises. We stand on those promises. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger just to know you more by giving us a hunger to be in your word. The more we're in your word and the more we're spending time with you, the more we're going to know you. And so, Lord, we ask right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, Lord, and bring us to a deeper understanding of your love for us right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I love talking about the Holy Spirit. Man, the Holy Spirit is just so amazing. God promised that he would go away. He would bring the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit would bear witness of Jesus Christ. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And when I hear people say that the Holy Spirit's not moving like in the book of Acts and, and that the gifts aren't for today, I, I don't understand that. Because in my, in my eyes, in my heart, the church couldn't exist without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And God forbid that we would try to do God's work in our own power. It's not going to work. You can only do it in the power of Jesus Christ. I mean, I can do some things in my own power and get some stuff done, but nothing like what I can accomplish by the power of Jesus Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But on my own, left to myself, I make messes of things. And I, I don't want to rely on myself. I want to rely on the Holy Spirit. And I hope you do too. We need to understand that when we came to Jesus Christ, he places his Holy Spirit in us. We've been baptized into the body of Christ. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is receiving the gifts of the Spirit. And those gifts are to be used to bless the other believers. The gifts aren't for you. God's given them to you to see if you will use them to bless others. And as he gives us the gifts and we give them away, he gives us more and we give it away and he gives us more and we give it away. 
Maybe you're here today and God's giving you gifts and you're not giving it away. You know, have you ever seen uh, two and three-year-olds around a bunch of toys? Mine! Mine! A lot of Christians are like that. A lot of Christians get blessed by God. They're given the gifts of the Spirit. And they're like, mine, not sharing. Well, you know what you become? The Dead Sea. See, you know, in, in Israel, there's the Sea of Galilee and there's the Dead Sea. And the Sea of Galilee is alive. Why? Because there's living water flowing in and living water flowing out. And you, are to be, as Christians, are to be living water. As God flows into you and pours into you, you pour into others. But see, the Dead Sea, you have living water flowing in, but you don't have anything flowing out. And thus it becomes dead. And many Christians are receiving knowledge, knowledge like crazy. They have all this knowledge, and they're receiving the gifts of God, but they're just swelling up, and they're dead because they're not releasing. Our whole life is determined by catch and release. Whatever God gives us, we give it away. And God is looking to you. Can God use you? Are you a conduit which God can flow through you? Is God up in heaven right now saying, hey, look, look at John. Look at John. Watch this. Gabriel, Michael, check this out. I'm going to give him some stuff. Watch this. Boom. Oh, look at him go. Look at him go. Or is he like, okay, um, here you go, Mike. Mine. Oh, man, I can't use that guy. Can God use you today? We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit because there's some great things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our down payment that we're going home. The Holy Spirit bears record, record that we're of Christ. You know, two questions that are com commonly asked me is this. Can you get to heaven without being sealed by the Holy Spirit? And the other question is, can you lose your salvation? And we're going to talk about that today. But I want to talk to you about the urgency of the Holy Spirit. That if you're in Christ Jesus... What bears witness is that is that you have Christ dwelling in you. And that's the confirmation of your walk, your attitude, your faith in Jesus Christ, that the word of God is true. And as God is revealing his word to you, that's the Holy Spirit working in you and through you and bearing witness that you're a child of God. You know, isn't it crazy? You know, you know how you can tell you have the Holy Spirit in you? Watch the news. Right? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? You're like, they say something, you're like, are you stupid? Are you for real? Are you hearing what you're saying? You know, the Bible says that Satan has blinded their eyes to the truth. And how many people we know that don't know Jesus Christ as you try to lay out truth and what's going on in the world today, because the world's nutty, amen? You lay out what's going on in the world today, and they just don't see it. You're like, you can't see that. You know why you see it? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit gives you insight that even the smartest people in the world don't have because they don't have Jesus. This is a crazy world that we live in. And I don't know about you, but every week I'm blown away because every week I say the same thing to me. This is what I say. I watch the news. I see what's going on. I talk to people. I go, it can't get any crazier. And then, and then the news blows me away. And it's not just what's happening in America, it's, it's worldwide. Aren't you seeing the Bible unfold right before your eyes? More than ever before? Aren't you seeing what God said was going to happen in the last days? Pestilence, wars and rumors of wars, people devouring one another, 
children devouring their parents, parents devouring their, their children, seeing believers turning on one another. We live in a time that the Bible speaks more about than any other time in history. And you and I are seeing it right before our eyes. And I want to encourage you today, as we look into the Scriptures, I want you to know who you are in Christ. I want you to understand your position in Christ, that you are children of God. You are adopted into the Holy Family. You have resources that you can tap into that maybe you're not tapping into, and God wants you to live a victorious life in Him. And unfortunately, there's too many Christians today that are living defeated lives. They've lost their joy. They've lost their hope. They, they're, they're not being a light because why? They got their eyes off Jesus and they put them on man. They got their eyes off Jesus and they put them on circumstances. Listen, guys, this place is not your home. Do you know that? Jesus could come at any moment and we'll be gone. But I'll tell you what I want to do and what you want to do is to finish your calling. To finish your calling. God's given every one of you a calling. I was talking with a brother out there in the lobby during first service, and, and he was asking about his calling. And, and I said, maybe your calling is just to go next door and talk to the neighbor about Jesus. And he was like, oh, that doesn't seem like much. I go, dude, that calling is just as important as me standing up here behind the pulpit delivering the word of God. Because if I won't be faithful in the little things, God won't make me faithful in the big things. And I need to be able to fulfill what he's called me to do. And if God is telling you to go down the street and share the gospel, guess what you need to do? Go down the street and share the gospel. If God's saying, drop some groceries off to this person, drop the groceries off. If he's saying, help somebody financially, help somebody financially. If he's telling you to go over and pray for that person, go over and pray for them. Fulfill what God is calling you to do. Have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. The Spirit gives us the power to do all things for Christ. And He blows us away. How many times has God told you to do something? You're like, man, I can't do that. And He's like, I'm right. Good. Now you won't get in the way. If I get out of the way and let God be God, guess what? He'll do amazing things and I'll stand back and go, wow, that was awesome. You did it. I didn't do anything. Oh, Lord, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. Are you guys asking for a fresh filling daily? If you're not, you're only harming yourself. Because I'll tell you what, God will give me something to do, and I will say, God, that is impossible. And he said, nothing is impossible with me. And he'll fill me with the Holy Spirit, and I'll do it, and I'll be blown away that he gave me the energy and the willpower and the ability to do it. And then all of a sudden, I feel like I'm tapped out, I'm drained out. And then I just say, Lord, fill me afresh because I'm empty. And guess what? Refills are free. I like free refills. And guess what? It's right at your fingertips. All day long, you can say, Lord, fill me afresh. Lord, fill me afresh. Oh, you want me to talk to this guy? Fill me afresh. And remember, don't go to the man about God till you've gone to God about the man. And then you say, Lord, give me, give me a fresh filling and give me an opportunity for that person. And so as we're going to look at what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives today, we want to do kind of a recap. We want to get a run at it. Um, we, we realize that Verse 3 through 14 is one sentence. Crazy. One sentence in the Greek. In your Bible, they've broken it up into periods so you can have a breath. But it's really just one sentence. And Paul just gets so excited 
that he just starts running crazy and he starts talking about our position in Christ. He talks about our, our position in, in God in the past, in the present, and in the future. And he does it from three perspectives. God's perspective, by the Father's perspective of how he sees us, how the Son sees us, and how the Holy Spirit. He's got the Trinity right in there. And it's so exciting. And he gets so excited and he talks about the Father. He talks about what the Son has done. He talks about what the Holy Spirit's going to do, the past, present, and the future. And he's just exploding. And you can see it like a song. And he's saying praise and glory to his name. And, and you've got to remember that Paul is doing this from prison. And maybe you're here today and you're feeling like your whole world's crashing around you. Bombs are going off everywhere. Everything's going haywire. And, and maybe you've lost your joy. Maybe you've lost your perspective. Maybe you got your eyes off on Jesus. Paul is in prison facing the death penalty and he just busts into song and he's so excited. He goes, look, oh, this is how the Father sees me. This is how the Son sees me. This is how the Holy Spirit, all praise and glory. Why? Because he knows where he's going. Because he knows this place is not his home. Because he knows he's a pilgrim passing through. Do you know that? Do you know we're here but a vapor? Look back on your life. Didn't it go by like that? Some of your kids, you're not getting this. But us older people, I'll tell you what. I'm in my 60s, but I still feel like I'm 16. Inside. I can look at that skateboard ramp down at Kapaw and go, I can do this. <laughs> and my body's just crying out, don't do it. Don't do it. But inside, because look, at, because this isn't me. This skin, what you're looking at, it's not me. This is, this is going to be left behind. I got a new body coming, amen? I'm looking forward to that new body. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to no, no more pain, no more suffering, no more three jobs, no more tears, all things becoming new. I'm looking forward to God revealing his grace to me throughout eternity. He's going to blow us away. We're going to be there 10,000 years. And he's going to go, guess what? Check this out. No, Lord, I, I can't take anymore. Stop. And this one, you thought you couldn't go any farther. He goes, hey, look, check this out. You're like, whoa, I can't. I'll praise the Lord. Heaven is going to be far from being boring. If you can get excited about this place, oh, gosh, you have no idea. Read ahead. Read ahead. God's got great plans for you. And so as we look at the recap, uh, we want to back up to verse 3 because there we see... Um, how the Father sees us, our position in God, and how the Father sees you and me versus uh, three through six in, in our past, how he sees in the past before the foundations of the world that God sees you and me, the Father sees you and me as chosen, predestined, adopted, before the foundations of the world, before you were even born. That's how the Father sees us. And then in verses seven through 12, how God sees us in the presence Jesus Christ has redeemed us. Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins at the cross. And then how God sees us, our position in God in the future, verses 13 through 14, the Holy Spirit has sealed us with a promise, a guarantee, an inheritance. We have an inheritance. We have a promise. We have a promise that we're going to get to where we're going. That's an awesome thing to think about. And verse 3 talks about that we've been given all spiritual gifts. We've been given all spiritual gifts. Colossians says we have all we need in Christ. We've been given all spiritual gifts. I looked it up in the Greek. All means all. Guys, you haven't been given some spiritual gifts. 
It's not like that you have to do this and that in order to obtain some more spiritual gifts. You have access right now. And I want to say, and this hurts my heart to say, that many Christians haven't tapped into the resources that God has for us. You haven't realized your position in Christ. You haven't realized how God sees you in Christ. And you haven't realized you've got a tremendous bag of resources up there that you haven't tapped in. And you're walking around in a defeated life, bummed out, discouraged, because you got your eyes off Jesus. And I'm here today to tell you, get your eyes back on Jesus. How was Peter able to walk on the water? Because he had his eyes on Jesus. What happened when he took his eyes off Jesus? He sunk. He sunk into the things of the world. Guys, spend more time with Jesus. Guys, get, ladies, and just, you know, universal. Pray. Get alone with them. You will not regret it. You will not get to heaven and say, you know what, Lord? I spent too much time with you. I think I read your book too much. Lord, I think I gave too much. We will not say those things. What we will say is that we'll say, Lord, I should have gave more. Lord, I should have read more. And Lord, I should have spent more time with you. And you know what? And we'll start to weep. And then you know what the Bible says he's going to do? He's going to wipe the tears away from our eyes. He's going to say, I love you. You're mine. I not only made you, but I bought you. Welcome into heaven. Are you so ready for that? I, I, I am. I don't know about you. Verse 4, he says this. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It's all about love, guys. It's all about love. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is what? I'll give you one more shot at that. The fruit of the Spirit is what? love and you go yeah but there's all those things that follow after it those things just describe love it's all about love the more we love the better we'll do the more we are other centered instead of self-centered the better we'll do before the more we're willing to sacrifice and be a servant to all the better that we'll do jesus came to serve not to be served he's a great example he said wash each other's feet be there for one another don't worry about what you have and what you don't have. Just worry about what you can do for others. Love. Love is the answer. Then look at verse 5. Having predestinated us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Oh, my goodness. You know why you're here today? It's his perfect will for you. Jesus is everything. He's everything. Is he everything to you? Are you willing to let him lead? You know, when I hear people say, oh, the Lord, he's my homie. That's awesome. When I hear people say, he's my co-pilot, I say, you know what? You better switch places. He needs to be your pilot. And you need to take instructions from him. And he loves you so much he can't take his eyes off of you. And it's his will that you need to allow him to do his will in your life. Don't fight it. Flow with it. You're going to be better off. 
because what he has planned for you is way better than what you have planned for yourself. We read in verses 4 through 6 that he has chosen us. He has predestinated us. He has adopted us as the children of God. And when you talk about chosen, predestined, and picked, that God picked you, isn't that awesome? God picked you. It wasn't like you were last pick, right? Nothing more humiliating when you were in school and they picked teams and you were the last pick. Except for somebody to say, oh man, we had him last time. Right? God wasn't like that. You were first pick. God looked out, he said, I gotta have her. I gotta have him. Oh my goodness. He picked you and you chose it. But here's the thing, when, when people hear pick, chosen, predestined, they start thinking, well, God picks who he's going to send to heaven, and he picks who he's going to send to hell. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Don't you believe that for one moment? God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God would not that any would perish. God so loved the world, but God can't save you by his love. You have to respond to his love. It's so important to do that. God doesn't send anyone to hell. You send yourself by rejecting the gift that he's offering. He's saying, listen, I did it all at the cross. I paid, the sins. I paid for your sins on the cross, and, and I'm offering you eternal life. Take the gift. Believe in what I did for you. Take the gift, live forever. And if you reject that, guess what? You send yourself to hell. He doesn't send you there. So this whole idea of chosen, predestined, picked, does that mean there's no free will? No, that doesn't mean that at all. It's always free will. It was free will in the Old Testament. It's free will in the New Testament. It'll be free will in the tribulation. It'll be free will in the millennial kingdom. It's always free will. Why? Because God's not going to force you to love him. That would be rape. God could have made all of you and programmed you. I love you, God. I love you, God. But what, 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 what good would that be? You can program your computer and to come through the front door and it says, I love you, Steve. Well, that makes me feel a little warm, but it doesn't really, it's not really heartfelt, right? Because I programmed it. Oh, Steve, you're so wonderful. Oh, Steve, did you lose weight? Oh, Steve, you, right? God wants you to come. You, don't you love it when your children just come up to you and they say, I love you? And there's no, can you give me some money? Can I have borrow the car? Can I have, it's just, you know what? I just want to tell you I love you. Doesn't that mean a lot? That's what God wants from you. God loves you so much. So you say, okay, if there's still free will, how is it that he chose us, predestined us, and picked us before the foundations of the world? Answer, his foreknowledge. He knew you before you were created. He knew you before the foundations of the world. Check out this verse. It's awesome. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Speaking about the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Is that amazing or what? Isn't that awesome? It's by his foreknowledge. God is all-knowing. God knew you before you were born. God knew you before the foundations of the world, and God knew the day that you were going to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He knew the day, he knew the hour, he knew the minute, he knew the second. And because he knew that before you were born, you were predestined, you were chosen, you were adopted as children of God. And he gave you a calling before you were even born. He called you. And he set up something for you to do here on this earth before you go to be with him forever. And isn't he worth doing something for?
when you really understand who you are in Christ and your position in Christ, you're going to want to serve Christ more. Why? Attitude of gratitude. Because he deserves it. Amen? In verse 7, it says this, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded bounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And so what we see here in verses uh, 7 and 8 is that Jesus has redeemed us. It's how God sees us presently. In the past, he saw us chosen before the foundations of the world. Now presently, he sees us in Christ Jesus, that we've been redeemed, the redemption through Jesus' blood, that because of what he did on the cross, we have eternal life. We've, we've been redeemed. So redemption means to ransom in full. Redemption means to cancel a debt. Jesus canceled our debt. The wages of sin is death. Sin pays out, and the wages of sin is death. And and we had this tremendous debt, and, and we couldn't pay it. And then Jesus comes in and does the unthinkable. He pays a debt for us that he didn't owe, a debt that you and I couldn't pay. Is that amazing? He wiped the slate clean. We've been redeemed. Paid in full, ransomed in full. Jesus not only made us, but he bought us. And he paid for us. And he paid the price for our failures. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 says this, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Are you doing that today? You know what else is great about being redeemed and being in Christ Jesus? I'm no longer under the curse of the law. I'm not under the law. You say, Steve, how could you say that? The law is holy. The law is pure. The law is just. It is. It's just that I'm not. I can't keep the law. Anybody here can keep the law? No. Not one of us. What is the purpose of the law? To show us that we fall short. To show us that we need a Messiah. The law points us to Jesus. The law shows us that none of us can obtain the law. And Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Jesus was the only one that could fulfill the law. And Jesus paid the price on the cross for us. And now we are no longer under the law. We are under Jesus Christ. We are no longer under a law which is a lesser authority. We're under the greater authority, Jesus Christ. Jesus is higher than the law. Which one do you want to be under? The one that kills you or the one that gives you everlasting life? I want Jesus. I want everlasting life. The Bible tells us that we are now dead to the law. The Bible says that we are no longer under the curse of the law. That you and I are under, not under the law. The, the Bible tells us that Jesus put an end to the law. I'm speaking to the legalists right now. Those that are trying to bring people back under the law. If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. I keep the law more than ever right now because I understand the love of Jesus. And I'm under a higher authority. I'm not under the law. I'm under Jesus. And when I'm under Jesus and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? I do God's will more than ever before. Isn't that the good news? We're no longer under that curse. Verse 9, check this out. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, (coughs) he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Isn't that beautiful right there? We're here because of his perfect will. He's doing a work through us, and he has promised us that one day he's going to gather us all together. 
in the fullness of times. Oh my gosh. You know, what does that mean? That means there's going to come a point when that one person who's left to get saved gets saved and the father says to the son, go get your bride. Has God put on your heart to share the gospel with somebody and you haven't done it? Wonder if that was the last person and you're holding us up. And you go down and you're faithful to go to your neighbor and share the gospel. He's broken in tears. He bows. He gives his heart to Christ. And you wake up in heaven. You open your eyes here in heaven. How about if you, God has given you that last person to speak to? How amazing is that? There will come a time when that last person will give their life to Jesus Christ and Jesus, Jesus will hear from the Father, go get your bride, and he'll come get us. And then there will be a gathering unto himself, a great gathering of things in heaven and in earth. All those that are believers, all those of God's creation, there will only be two groups that won't be there. Fallen angels and unbelievers. Do you know all of creation groans and travails, awaiting? That all of creation worship God. The animals all acknowledge who God is. All of creation, all of nature is waiting for God to come and set up his kingdom and make things right. Even the mountains, the trees, the sky, the water, all that stuff. I know that sounds weird, but that's true. And then he's going to gather unto himself all the believers on heaven and on earth. And we're going to get a glimpse of that at the millennial kingdom reign. And then we're going to get a bigger picture of it at the end, at the great white throne judgment, when God judges the unbelievers and casts them off into the lake of fire, and he's wiped out the heavens and the earth, and there's a clean slate, and you and I, as the believers in Christ, as the children of God, will be standing right next to God when he does Genesis 1-1 all over again. And he opens up his mouth and he says, let there be light. And he creates a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem, and you and I are going to see it. We're going to be standing right there when he does Genesis 1-1 all over again. I don't know about you, I'm excited, and I don't know where I'm going with that, but I don't even know where I was. Oh my gosh. But that was good stuff, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, what I love is you look at verse 12 and it says that we should be the praise of his glory. I think the thing that I love about this whole run from verse 13 to 14 is it talks about how God sees us in the past, the present, and the future, but it's a song. It really is a song because what we see is verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 12 says, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14 says, and to the praise of his glory. That's like the chorus. And so what we see is, is verse uh, 3 through 5 is how God sees us, our position in the past. And then verse 6 is the chorus, praise of the glory of his grace. And then from verse 7 through 11, we see how God sees us presently, our position in God. And then verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And then verses 13 and 14 is how he sees us in the future, the Holy Spirit sealing us. And then he finishes up verse 14 under the praise of his glory. It's a song. And, and we, should, we should get the worship team to, to put some chords to it. 
and just, you know, here's how God sees us in the past. And, and the, the chorus is praise to the glory of his grace. And here's how God sees us in the present. And the glory is the, and the chorus is to the praise of his glory. And then here's how God sees us in the future unto the praise of his glory. It's a beautiful song and a, and a, and a reason to shout for God. If you're here today and you're taking notes, God's divine election that he has given to us will produce in us praise, worship, and an adoration of God. Let me say that again. God's divine election that he has given to us will produce in our lives praise, worship, and adoration towards God. Verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. One mark that should be on every believer's life is that we are people prone to worship. We are people that are prone to worship. The word in the Greek is proskuneho. It means to kiss the hand of the master. It means to worship, to show the act of worship. And as a believer, we are to be known as people who worship God. Does that describe you? Are you known as a person that worships God? Now, how do we do that? Do we need to muster that up? Do we need to pump up the crowd? Do we need to get some driving songs going? Do we need to be running up and down the aisles with banner and rolling around on the floor and jumping all over the place? I know churches that do that, and I'm not knocking that. As long as it's genuine and not manufactured. Because I've seen a lot of stuff that's manufactured. And it's like they're trying to hype the crowd up. And it's not genuine. It's not a move of the Spirit. You know, when I went to third world countries and I do ministry, I see such a move of the Spirit like never before. And, and I've gone to places where, uh, remote places, like where, you know, out in the, as far as you can go in the jungle and been with some 300 people worshiping God and watched these local people worshiping, hands in the air, tears flowing down their eyes, just, you know, crying out to God. Some are on their knees, some are on their faces, some are slain in the Spirit, some are caught up in holy laughter, and I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm going, wow. And you know what? But it wasn't manufactured. It was genuine. It was genuine. But then again, I've been places here in the U.S. where I see it's manufactured, and it's kind of hyping the crowd up. And, and so, so how do you know if it's what the difference is between manufactured and being genuine? Well, here's how you know. Are you doing it at home? Are you running through your house with a banner going, Praise the Lord, hallelujah, running up and down the hallway? If you're not doing that at home, why are you doing it at church? You see, you know, a lot of times I get home and I'm alone, and I get up early in the morning, and I'm with the Lord, and that's my favorite time. And I just start worshiping, and I start praying, and I start singing songs, and I find myself raising my hands in the air and tears rolling down my face, and nobody's there but me and him. It's got to be genuine worship. That's what's important. And if that's running up and down, there, that's fine. As long as it's genuine and you're praising the true and living God. One other thing I've noticed about true worship is that Christians so many times will compare themselves to somebody else. Would you stop that? Stop comparing yourself to how somebody else worships and just worship how the Creator has made you to worship. 
and, and realize that everybody's growing in a different level. We've got new believers, we've got old believers, we've got super old believers, and then we've got super, super old believers. And everybody's in a different place at the time. You know, because I was a worship leader for years, and I would look out in the congregation during worship, and I'd see these people, you know, hands in the air, and they're just like, oh, Jesus, oh! And the tears are flowing, and other people are just like, oh! And then you're just amped up, and some are down on their face, and, and then there's the other ones that are like, How long is this going to go? Man, he's doing that song again? How many times is he going to sing that chorus? Oh, my gosh. And you've got to ask yourself, are you in Christ? Because if you really know him and you really want to know him more, he'll change that attitude in you. He'll make you a worshiper. But I want to encourage you because, you know, like some of you are new believers. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a while. And some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time. But don't compare your worship to someone else. Because I used to do that. When I first got saved, I used to go to church, and, and, and I can remember standing next to people during worship, and, and their tears are flowing through their face, and, and they're, they're, they got their hands in the air. And when I first got saved, I, I thought that, you know, um, I didn't like worship. Just be honest with you. I thought it, I was thought, I, I thought it was for sissies and weak people. I really did. I used to walk in. I'd see guys, grown men, big burly guys, hands in the air crying. I'm like, oh, gosh, that's disgusting. And I'd be like, I'd be like, Lord, you know, I'd be like, guys, when's the teaching start? Tell me when the teaching starts. I'm going to come back for the teaching. And isn't it ironic that God made me a worship leader? And next thing you know, I'm that guy crying, and it's ugly. Why? Because I understood who he was, and I started understanding my position in Christ. And I started understanding all that he did for me, and it changed me. But I, I'm here today to encourage you, listen, let God meet you right where you're at. Don't judge yourself or compare you to somebody else. Because, you know, that's what I was doing when I first got saved. I was comparing myself to somebody else. I'd have somebody standing next to me, and during worship, they're crying. And during the song, they're like, oh, Jesus, oh, oh thank you, Lord. Oh, oh. You know, and they're wiping snot from their face. It's ugly, and I'm just like, how come I'm not like that, Lord? And then he'd sit down, and during the message, and something would be said, a verse would be said, and they're like, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, oh, thank you, Jesus. And I'm like, how come I'm not doing that? And you know what I found out? It's because they've been in the Lord a lot longer than I have. Or maybe they hadn't been in the Lord longer than I have, but they'd spent more time with Jesus. I remember a dear friend of mine went to China and um, he went there to, to hear a guy speak who was thrown in jail for his faith, beaten and thrown in jail, and said, stop preaching Jesus Christ and preach the Communist Party. And he said, I won't. And, and they threw him in jail for years. And, uh, and his family grieved over it. And he was there for so many years, and he finally got so old, they let him go because they figured he wouldn't be a threat anymore. And they let him go, and you know what he did? He went out right out and preached Jesus. And he started attracting these crowds, thousands, five thousands, ten thousands. And, and the word spread throughout the world. And my buddy was a pastor in San Diego, and he went there to go see this guy speak. And as he was listening to this guy speak, he was hearing him quote scripture, and he misquoted a scripture. And my friend said in his heart, he goes, whoa, Lord, he just misquoted that scripture. And then he kind of blew it off. He's like, yeah, we've all done that as pastors. We've misquoted, we've paraphrased or something, right? So he blew it off, but then it happened again. 
And he goes, whoa, Lord, he misquoted another scripture. And then it happened again. He's like, whoa, Lord, what's, what's going on? And he, and he started to question God. And he, started, said, he said in his heart, he said, Lord, I know the word of God better than this guy, but he's got thousands of people and I don't. And you know what God said to him? He said, you're right. You know the word better than him, but he knows me better than you. If you feel you're not good at worship, it could be a lack of knowledge of who Christ is and not having a full understanding of all that he's really done for you. If we're going to worship God, we need to worship God in spirit and truth. We need to be led by the spirit, but we need to have a knowledge and an understanding of who Christ is, and that can only come from reading his word. The more you read his word and the more you spend time with him, the greater your walk will be with him. You will keep your joy in the midst of a crazy world like we're in right now. And we need that more than ever, don't we? To keep our eyes on Jesus. If church is more of a duty for you than a joy, you might ask yourself if you're in Christ. You might ask yourself if you're in Christ. It's important for us to understand that. Are you in Christ today? Don't just tell me you're a Christian. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? I think actually we ought to stop asking people if they're Christians and just ask them if they're in Christ. Because there's a lot of people out there that say they're Christians and they're not Christians. You know, when I grew up as a kid, um, one of the things that I noticed was that everybody in America said they were a Christian. So when I was growing up in the 60s, if, if you said, hey, are you a Christian? They'd say, I'm an American, aren't I? Well, what does that mean? There's a lot of people today that say they're Christian. You know, New Agers will say they're Christians. They're not. Their Jesus is not our Jesus. Mormons and Jehovah Witness, they say they're Christians. They're not. Their Jesus is not our Jesus. And maybe we just ought, ought to start saying just, you know, hey, rather than ask people if they're Christians, say, Harry, are you in Christ? What's that mean? Did you put your trust in Christ? Are you in Christ? Maybe that's what we should ask now. Are you in Christ? You bet I'm in Christ. I'm totally in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 12. I'm in Christ. You ask somebody else, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Are you in Christ? What's that in Christ? <coughs> you failed. You need to know that you're in Christ. Listen, the reason I say that, why? Is that you can believe Jesus is who he is and be lost. <laughs> you're looking at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. Did you know in the book of James, it says the demons believe Jesus is who he is and tremble? The demons believe full-heartedly that Jesus is God, the creator of the universe, and they tremble. But they're lost. Why? They didn't put their trust in Christ. They got their eyes off of God. So you can stand out there today and say, I believe Jesus is who he is. I believe that he's the creator of the universe. I believe that he's God. But if you haven't put your trust in him, He's not yours. You have to change what you think of him. You've got to not only acknowledge that he is the creator and he is the only way, but you have to ask him into your life and say, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And now because I've done that, I am in Christ. It's so important. Because why? 
because there are going to be people that are going to be at the great white throne judgment. And God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, I did these things in your name. Lord, Lord, I attended this church. Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because they didn't fully put their trust in Christ. Are you trusting in Christ today? See, you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit that's bearing witness of who Christ is. You've got to allow it to sink into your mind and to believe it in your head. You need to be stirred in the heart, but then you need to commit. You need to say, Lord, I believe you're everything that you say you are. I give my life completely to you. Lord, forgive me of my sins because I realize you're the only one that can forgive sin. Save me now. That's putting your trust in Christ. And that's how you become a child of God. That's how you become a child of God. In verse 13, it says, In whom we also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So there's the proof of what I just said. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed. You put your trust in him. Then what happened? We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, your version might say, the guarantee of our inheritance into the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. Wow. What does that mean? He's purchased us. He's laid down a down payment. It's sort of like an engagement ring. When you give it to your, your fiancé, it's, it's proof that, hey, I'm going to marry you. We're going to see this thing through. That's what the Lord's doing for us. And one day he's going to not only bring us to heaven, he's going to give us a new body. And that redemption process will be complete with that new incorruptible body. And I'm looking forward to that. I don't know about you. And the guarantee is verse 14. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. We are sealed by the Spirit. If you are sealed by the Spirit, you're going to heaven. That's the good news. That's the guarantee. That seal is so important because it speaks of three things. Ownership, security, and you're going to reach your destination. And he's talking to the Ephesians who were caught up in worldwide trade. They had a famous port there. And what would happen is a master would send his servants out to all the ports of the world and they would buy special things and gifts for the master. And then the, they would crate those things up and then they would pour hot wax on it and they would put the signet ring in the hot wax and it was the seal that it was the master's. It proved ownership. It also represented security. It, it represented that anybody that tampered with this crate, anybody that tampered with this seal would be put to death. It also proclaimed it was going to reach its destination. You see where I'm going with this? You have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. God put his mark on you. God has proved that his mark is on you. He owns you. Nobody can mess with you and stop you from going to heaven. And it's living proof, the Holy Spirit, that you're going to get to the destination. He's got his mark on us. Do you have the mark of Jesus? You know, in the Passover, remember that? 
They had to have the blood over the doorpost. The mark of God. For you and me as a believer, we have the blood of the Lamb over our doorpost. We've been marked by God. You know, in Revelation chapter 7, during the tribulation period, God says he's going to put his mark, his seal on 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. Those 12,000 from each tribe, that 144,000 during the tribulation are going to be great evangelists for Jesus Christ. They're going to go out and they preach the gospel and no one can touch them. Why? Because they have the mark of God. Isn't that awesome? I love it. Why do you think the Antichrist wants to, that Satan wants to counterfeit whatever Jesus does? Jesus is God. Satan wants to be worshipped as God. Jesus put his mark on us. Satan wants to put his mark on you. What's that mark? 666, the mark of the beast. Well, where's that in the Bible? Well, just remember this. Revelation 13. 13 is the most unlucky number to a Jew. Add up 6 plus 6 plus 6, it's 18. Chapter 13, verse 18, mark of the beast. Satan wants to put his mark on an unbelieving world. And during the tribulation period, if you take the mark of the beast, you, if you refuse it, you won't be able to buy or sell. But if you take the mark of the beast, you'll be damned for all eternity. Satan's trying to put his mark on the people of this earth to damn them for all eternity. Jesus says, don't take that mark. Take my mark. Put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost. Let Jesus mark you. You know, it's crazy because we also see in Revelation chapter 20 that after the, the tribulation that God throws Satan into the bottomless pit and he seals it for a thousand years. And that's a seal that can't be broke by anybody till that thousand years is over. And then Satan comes out and he tries to do a rebellion against God. God smokes him. And then God sets up his kingdom. A new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And we'll dwell with him forever. And we won't be capable of sinning. And he'll be revealing his grace throughout all eternity. Hello? If you ever had a good day on this earth, it's a crummy day compared to heaven. Hello? If you ever ate a good meal here, it's nothing compared to the meals up there. You will be there 10,000 years, and God's going to say this. Check this out. Check this out. And you're going to go, whoa, whoa. You just blow me. I can't take. Stop. I can't take anymore. And just when you thought he couldn't blow your mind anymore, the next week he goes, hey, check this out. You're like, what? What? Are you kidding me? He's going to be revealing his grace throughout eternity. He's going to be revealing new dishes to us throughout eternity. You're going to be eating the most incredible food, low cal, no calorie not gaining any weight, new body, hello. Not capable of sinning, but capable of praising the word of God, Jesus Christ. Is that the good news or what? Worship throughout all eternity. It's a guarantee. God has sealed us. We are marked. And being sealed is the proof that you cannot lose your salvation. You can't lose it. People ask me all the time, can you lose your salvation? I go, nope, I can't. And they say, they say, well, you know, well, yeah, but what about these guys? Who are these guys? Well, what about these guys? You know, they're famous on TV and doing all kinds of conferences and evangelizing and all this stuff. And then they turn their back on God and they denounce Jesus and they wrote books about Satan. What about those guys? I'll tell you about those guys. They were never saved. Well, then how can they be used? How come... How, you know what? You remember when Paul and Philippians and they were saying, listen, people are preaching, they got the wrong intentions. 
Some are doing it to earn money. Some are doing it in contention and strife. Paul goes, who cares? As long as the gospel is being preached, I don't care because that's the power of the word of God. It will not come back void. You can be an unbeliever teaching the gospel and somebody could get saved. That's the power of God. I know that just upsets you guys, but that's okay. That's the power of the word of God. That's the beauty of it. I've listened to people tell me their, their testimonies and their testimonies because they were listening to a lunatic who was so far gone, but he gave the gospel and that person got saved. That's the power of the word of God. So when I hear people say, well, they were so on fire for Jesus and now they're not. Listen, they probably never knew Jesus. And I know that hurts, but let me give you an example in the Bible of that. There was a disciple who was casting out demons, raising the dead, healing the sick, looked so spiritual and was totally lost. You remember his name? Judas. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Remember what I said? You can believe that God is who he is, but if you don't put your trust in him, you're not born again. Judas didn't put his trust in who Jesus was. Judas did miracles. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. And he was so convincing. Check this out. At the Last Supper, when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't even know who it was. you got to understand something. Christianity is big business. There's a lot of people out there making money with not the right heart. But in the midst of that, they're actually sharing the gospel. And though their heart's not right, people are getting saved. Is God raining down a blessing right now? Amen. I hope this is touching your heart. I hope you understand who you are in Christ Jesus. I hope you understand the position that you have in Jesus. You're children of God. You've been adopted into the holy family. You have resources at your fingertips. Grab onto it. It's yours. Use it for the glory of God. Time is short. We're running out. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us as he lays it out in his word. And he gives us actual detailed description of this. The very thing of God coming, dying for us, giving his life for us. The fact that the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus says, I go and I must go to send the comforter because if I don't go, the comforter can't come. Jesus said, I have to leave in order for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. Isn't that beautiful? Why? Because if Jesus didn't leave, we wouldn't get the Holy Spirit. That's what he was saying. If Jesus stayed on this earth and didn't leave to give the Holy Spirit to every individual that puts their trust in Jesus Christ, we would all be trying to see Jesus and we wouldn't be able to. Why? He'd be thronged by thousands. You know what it's like to, to try to meet a famous person and there's thousands of people around him? You can't. You can't get to them. Jesus made it really easy. He says, listen, I'm going to go, and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to place myself in you, so you will always have me and have access to me. Is that amazing or what? You have Jesus Christ in you, the hope and the glory. You, you have him right at, at your reach. At any moment during the day or night, you can go boldly before the throne of grace, and he's right there for you. People will let you down. Man will let you down. Your parents will let you down. Your children will let you down. Jesus will never let you down. There are those, hey, man, I need to talk. Oh, I'm really busy. Hey, do you got a minute? No, I don't got a minute. I got stuff going on. Jesus will never say that to you. Is that awesome? 
That's the creator of the universe, the real famous one. Hello. I mean, you meet somebody famous, what do you do? You go home and tell everybody, I met someone famous today. Who'd you meet? I met a famous actor. I met a politician. I met a music artist. When was the last time you said, I met with Jesus today? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. I got to share it with you. Isn't he the most famous one? What a beautiful picture we see of what God has done for us. You know, and you see this story. He shows us, he, he, he allows his people to live out his story to make it even more um, impressive upon our minds. In Genesis chapter 24, this whole thing that we've been talking about here today, about the Holy Spirit, is all lived out in Genesis chapter 24, where Abraham, who's a type of the Father, says to a servant who is the type of the Holy Spirit to go get a bride for Isaac, who is a type of Jesus Christ, to go get a bride, which is a type of the church, to offer her gifts, which is a type of the Holy Spirit, what he does, he gives us gifts, and to offer her to come marry a guy who she's never met, you've never met Jesus, and she commits. And the, the servant says to the master, Master, you want me to go to a faraway place because you don't want your son to marry a Canaanite. You want somebody from the brethren. So you want me to go to this faraway place and you want me to take gifts and you want me to get a woman to come to marry the son who she's never seen. And he says, yeah. And he goes, wonder if she doesn't want to come. He says, then you're off the hook. And he goes, all right. And so he goes, and he goes to this faraway place, and he comes to this well, and he says, Lord, you've got to help me out here. He throws out a fleece. He says, you've got to help me out here. And he goes, listen, if the woman that you want is the one, when I come to the well, have her come to the well and offer me a drink. And as I'm drinking, that she will say, and I'll water your camels also. And, and so he comes to this well, and here comes Rebecca. And Rebecca comes up and she offers him a drink. And while he's drinking, she goes, listen, I'll water your camels too. And he's like, oh my God. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh God, you're so good. And he tells her about the story. He tells her why he's there. And he, he puts rings on her and bracelets. And, and she runs home to tell her family that there's a relative of theirs that has come seeking her to be a bride for the bridegroom that she's never seen. And, and, and they get all excited and, and they receive this servant and all of the servants with them, and all the camels, and they provide provision for the camels, and they set up a big feast, and they said, let's eat and celebrate. This is an amazing thing. And he stops them right there, and he says, listen, no celebration is going to take place until I tell you why I'm here, and if you accept while I'm here, then we'll celebrate, but if not, I'm packing it up, I'm leaving. And so he tells them why. He says, my master sent me. My master is a great master, very wealthy, very powerful. And he has sent me with these gifts to bring a wife, a bride, for his son, the bridegroom. And if you accept this, then we can continue on. And they accept it. And they have this wonderful feast. And he gives gifts to the, the, the bridegroom, the bride-to-be, and to the, the, the members of the family. And he takes Rebecca, and they leave the next day. And they set out on a journey, and as they're coming to the land, she sees Isaac out in the field, and, and she says, who is that? And he says, that's, that's my master. She jumps off the camel, and she runs to him, and he takes her in the tent, and they're married. And it's a beautiful picture. Why? Because Abraham is a type of the father. Isaac is a type of the son, Jesus Christ. 
the Father sends the Holy Spirit. And here's the funny thing. You don't hear anything mentioned of the servant. You don't hear his name except seven chapters back in Genesis 15. It says who the servant is. His name is Eleazar, which is comforter. Jesus says, I must go away, but if I go, I will send you a comforter. He will teach you all things. He will point to me. He will never speak of himself. This servant never spoke of himself and told him of the desires of the master to bring a bride who has never seen the bridegroom to his son. And what a picture of Jesus Christ. And what a picture of the Holy Spirit who has come to you and cried out to you about Jesus Christ. And you've made a commitment to someone that you've never seen. And the down payment and the guarantee was the power of the Holy Spirit placed in your life and the gift of the Spirit that he given to you. And one day, he is going to take you to the bridegroom. And you will have everlasting life. Is that beautiful or what? That's what Jesus has done. Let me close with this. The Holy Spirit seals the believer, which is confirmation to us of our birth in Christ, our walk with God, our call with God, and our future with God. If Christ is in you, and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, guess what? God's going to get you to the finish line. I think that hit me a lot harder than it hit you. The Bible tells us in Philippians 1.6, be confident of this very thing, that he's begun a good work and you will complete it. And I say that to you right now because, listen, we're living in a crazy world. Nutty. Hello. I got to be honest with you. I feel like giving up sometimes. Do you? And then I got to remind myself, remind myself of who I am and who I am in Christ. And he's saying, listen, hang on. Just a little bit longer. There's some people that need to be saved. Don't you want to be part of that? I'm like, yes, I do, Lord. Yes, I do. And then when I cry out to him, he's going to give me the strength to get through this day. He's going to give me the strength to get through tomorrow. He's going to give me the strength to get through next week. In the midst of a collapsing nation, in the midst of a collapsing world, in a, com- in a just put whatever you want in there. God is going to see you to the finish line. You've been sealed with the promise of the Spirit, which means you are the masters. You're not your own. You're bought with a price, which means nobody can stop you from getting to heaven, and which means he's promising that you will reach the destination that he has set before you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for that promise. Lord, the promises are ours. And Lord, may we know you more. May we put our trust in you. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Lord, give us strength to keep our eyes on you and not on the world and our circumstances. God, fill us to a place of overflowing where love just flows out of us and the light of God shines. Lord, thank you for everyone that's here, Lord God. I pray that you empower them with the Holy Spirit to be about your business this week because, Lord, this might be the final week. This could be our last chance. Let us wake up each and every morning thinking that this is it. This is our last day. And help us to live that day to the fullest. Pour out your spirit on these people here today. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Amen.